Welcome to The Mental Cast, powered by Soul Performance Academy. The Mental Cast is a podcast focused on the topics and people helping drive us forward in leadership, learning, and our personal journeys. Just a reminder, you can send in your questions using the hashtag AskDanMickle, A-S-K-D-A-N-M-I-C-K-L-E, or sending an email to info at danmickle.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Mental Cast. Welcome to the Mental Cast Season 3 premiere, and I am honored to have a very long-time good friend, Amory Brandt of Team Brandt Marketing, joining us today. And I have to say, this is probably one of the most fun uh, pre-recording lobbies that I've had chit-chatting, so hopefully that'll transfer well into the actual product. Amory, why don't you say hello and give us a little bit of background about yourself before we dig into this awesome topic today. Hello there, everyone. I'm Anne-Marie Brandt of Team Brandt Marketing. My byline is I am a casual approach to serious marketing. I've owned Team Brandt Marketing for 15 years. Next month will be 15 years. Uh, I am a solopreneur and I specialize in branding and marketing for small businesses. You know, before we dig into what we were going to talk about, I got to ask, why February? Because I just realized that my first company I started was February. The current company I started was February. Why do we always seem to start things in February? Is it like, do we lay around in January like it's time for a change? And then by the time we actually get off our butts and do it, it's February? But that's really weird. If you really want to know the answer, my husband and I got married in November of whatever 15 years ago is. <laughs> Math isn't my strong point. And we decided to take our honeymoon in February. And right before we took our honeymoon, I quit my job. And while we were on the honeymoon in February, we were deciding what I was going to do with my life then, rather than just being a stay-at-home housewife where I would not survive. (laughs) (laughs) And Team Brent Marketing was born in late February early Uh, March. Crazy. So today's topic. Are you calling me crazy or just the idea? Well, I think by the end of this, everyone will realize the idea and you are probably a little bit crazy. (laughs) (laughs) So we had some great discussions. Um, You know, we're in a a peer group together that you run, which has been awesome. I know I haven't been there for a while, but things have been obviously crazy. Um, But we brought up one of the topics that was brought up was about, you know, overworking and burnout and the ability to say no and how hard it is for an entrepreneur to say no. And, um, and then you brought this great nugget this morning and sprung it on me. Um, so I'll let you transition transition to that and, and kind of let you guide things, but I think it's going to be a great discussion on, on how we need to chill and relax and how hard it is for entrepreneurs, especially to do that. Yeah, um, I think you and I had a discussion a couple months ago, if not late last year, about overachieving and people not knowing how to relax or rejuvenate themselves. And the, the social media internet has been overrun by all these memes that have 
really been rubbing me the wrong way. Um, one of them, they were, they were concentrating on shaming people who did not start a side hustle or start a new business, start a new job. Um, I'll read one of them to you. It says, um, if you don't come out of this quarantine with either a new skill, starting what you've been putting off like a new business or more knowledge, you never lacked the time, you lacked the discipline. And another one was um, uh, pretty much along the same line of if you did not if you did not come out of this quarantine is superstar and rock star, then you suck. And I thought that was pretty harsh. Um, I don't know about you, but this quarantine has been pretty rough on not only me, my family and my friends, but just the whole world in of itself. Um, what I've seen is a lot of shaming and it's really, for lack of a better term, a shame that people are telling people that they have to overachieve and just keep hustling rather than allowing themselves, their bodies, their minds to recuperate from this big pandemic and just learn to exhale. Yeah, I, I had that same thought and I kind of ended up the year with one of my blog posts about the hustle movement. Like I respect, and I've said this a million times in the last couple of months, I respect, I love, I honor Gary Vaynerchuk. Like, I mean, love Gary V. I love him, but that's just not a lifestyle that most people can handle. I mean, that's just to be on that grind and hustle is really tough on a good year. And I think too many people underestimated the mental toll that the pandemic was going to have on them, that they could do all this stuff. Oh, I'm going to learn another language and I'm going to do this. No, because you're going to be full of anxiety and worry where your next paycheck's coming from. Are my kids going to be okay? Um, and I think people underestimated the toll that that aspect of all of this was going to have. You know, every, everyone likes to, to, to take the, the lockdowns, you know, that the governments are imposing and compare them to the movie The Shining where, you know, he's isolated and trying to write that book. But it was his lack of ability to deal with isolation that was the issue. It wasn't the isolation itself. And I think that's the problem. We, we want to put all these hustles and do this and get these side things going. But it's really just kicking the can down the, down the street of your mental health. Yeah, I mean, one of the terms I've seen is the overachiever syndrome, where, I mean, being an entrepreneur and a solopreneur, I have to be self-motivated. If I'm not self-motivated, there's no way that I would have had my business 15 years. I may have been able to sustain a year or two, and that's it. There has to be a lot of self-motivation with being an entrepreneur, solopreneur, or a successful person. But in being an overachiever, sometimes we hone in on the every single minute counts rather than remembering that rest and um, 
having that time to rejuvenate and re uh, repower ourselves is so important. Um, I, I know beforehand I had said, can I slip in the fact that I had trained and ran a half marathon <laughs> to this discussion? And again, that goes to the point of people realize you're crazy. <laughs> But um, I mean, I am no longer a runner, unfortunately, due to a back injury, but that was a huge, huge part of my life for a while. Um, I remember when I was training for this half marathon, I, I keep wanting to say that because it was such a huge accomplishment, <laughs> but yeah, I, I was half crazy there. But when I was training, um, one of our mutual friends, Joe, she was my uh, virtual coach for this. And I would check in with her all the time. And she would constantly remind me, make sure you have a rest day. And I'm like, no, I can run, you know, five miles here, five miles there. I can just keep going. She's like, if you do not incorporate a rest day, you're going to tear your muscles. Your body is going to break down shut down and you're going to injure yourself and it's going to take even longer to achieve what your goals are. Yeah. You know, one of the things that you brought up in the very beginning was about being a solopreneur and have you ever brought someone on or has it always just been you? Like, was there a time period where you brought anyone on? Um, in the beginning of my career as a solopreneur, I did have a business partner for one side of my business. We had become business mentors. I hate the word coach. I know you're a coach, but I, I comes... prefer the word mentor. So that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, we ran a, a business mentoring side together. So yeah, we, we um, ran that for a about two years together and then she got married and moved away so it was a natural progression just for me to put that back into my own business the reason i ask that is when i started my first it company it was just me for about four years i, I would say from 2000 to 2004 it was just me and it was it's like you said everything's on you and you had to be really self-motivated when I hired a couple guys, you know, at our peak, we had three, I hired three guys, but once I hired someone, the motivation was much easier because I turned that focus on, I need to do it for them. And when I look back and, and they left and I went back to being a solo, much like you. And what I started to realize was it was a lot easier when other, when I was responsible for other people getting food on their table than it was just for me. Um, but on the same token, it was really, really tough because in the IT world, you know, I'm doing IT support and it's just me. If I go on vacation, I still have to be accessible. And this, you know, this was early 2000s where we didn't have the remote technologies really that we had now. So my vacations were literally me just worrying that something was going to break. You know, that day at the water park was fun for about 10 minutes here and there but most of it was just worrying about oh my god is someone trying to call me is something broken you know and and one of my clients was a huge law firm that you know every hour they were down they're losing ten thousand dollars an hour so it's like um and I, and I think that's where I started to feel the 
the grind and the inability to start to say no to things um, because I didn't want to, I, I didn't want to be perceived as that guy that is lazy. And the other aspect is in any world, you don't know what's around the corner. You lose that client and then what happens? So you're always kind of hustling to make sure that you always have more eggs in your basket. Um, and I think that's where the burnout for me came. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Um, with me being a solopreneur, um, what story came to my mind is my husband has a hunting cabin up in Renova, which is a couple hours away. And they have an indoor toilet, indoor shower, and that's it. If you sneeze, their phone goes out. Cell phones don't work up there. We do not have TV, internet, nothing. Um, the closest place that I can get a cell phone signal is about a half an hour away. So when we go up there, we go up every single year for a week. I still remember my first um, like three years up there. We would go up and I would have this fear <laughs> just clutching my heart in my brain of my business is going to close without me for a week. So what I would do is I would tell Dan, hey, I'm going down to the store, which is a half an hour away. <laughs> and what I would be doing is taking my cell phone, trying to find a Wi-Fi signal somewhere in town and check my emails and check what's going on, calling my assistant. Um, I had part-time assistants here and there throughout the years where they would check my messages, this and that. And I would be on a panic. And I would do that every day or every other day. And when I wasn't there, I would be thinking, okay, did I remember this and this and this for this client? And just so self-involved that I could not really relax until day five of vacation. Day seven, we're leaving. Right. So, um, and, you know, my, my friends were like, your business isn't going to fail in just a week, you know, they would either say that or they would go to the extreme of, well, must be nice to be able to get away for a week, you know, yeah. but what I've learned to do instead is work ahead up until I leave. And I started preparing my clients saying, look, I'm going to be out of pocket for a week. I will not have access to phone, internet, email for a week. And I would remind them three weeks ahead, two weeks ahead, one week ahead. And I would still put in a little buffer that if they come to me with a last minute project, I would be able to get it done. And I remember the first year I really implemented that and we went up to camp and I just felt this huge weight off of my shoulders of, you know what? I'm going to force myself to relax. I know that sounds stupid and silly, but I had to keep reminding myself, I need to relax. I need to, I've worked ahead so I can enjoy this. Now, like I, I stretched it out then to every two, two and a half days, I would go down to town and check my messages, this and that. But after 15 years, 
I can honestly say that I've learned how to relax a little bit more when I'm on vacation without access to anything because my world will not implode without me. And I've worked hard enough ahead of time to prepare for if the world would implode. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. No. So one of the things that I love, and, and I don't know if you've ever seen um, Tim Ferriss's TED Talk on uh, fear setting, and he goes through the whole, you know, we, we goal set, like this is where I want to be and what I want to do. But when he first became a really successful entrepreneur and, you know, a millionaire, basically, he was getting burned out. You know, it's tough starting it and running a business, let alone a successful business. Like people think the, the more successful you get, the easier it is. And I, I argue that it's actually opposite, but, um, you know, he was just burned out and he wanted to go backpacking Europe for two months. But his anxiety was just like, I can't, you know, what if the IRS sends a letter and I'm not there to get it? What if we have supply chain issues and I'm not there to do it? Um, and then he decides, you know what, I'm going to work backwards. So what happens if the IRS sends a letter? What happens if I can't do it? And then he said, okay, well, if these happen, how can I fix it? And I'll sign, you know, power of attorney over to my accountant. So that anything from the IRS comes to him while I'm gone. I hired a good manager. I need to trust that she could handle the supply chain. Um, and he really looked at, you know, the worst case scenario and worked back from it. Um, and I've really, really started to do that. Now, obviously, my worst case scenarios aren't nearly as bad as his. Um, but I've, I've found that the other thing that helped me a lot was just talking to my clients. Before, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to scare them and say, hey, I'm going on vacation. I might not be available. So I just kind of, you know, ignored it. Um, but I found that once I talked to them, like, hey, I'm going on vacation, and they were like, okay, well, unless it's a dire emergency, we're not going to call you. Whereas, you know, I'm getting three calls a day, my printer's not working or, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, they just wouldn't call me unless it was catastrophic or an issue. And I think that was really the key was the communication with the clients about that. And I imagine you get it a lot because <clears throat> the marketing world is pretty ruthless yes. in, in the sense of people expect everything right away. Like I hired you to do my social media campaign wisen it up and running you know like, they don't understand that creative takes time like we just can't pull these things out of the air it's not mad men where by the end of the episode everything's wrapped up it's it's weeks um so how do you what's the bigger anxiety for you the the little stuff of running the company or taking care of the clients you know when it comes to the overachieving aspect and and taking that break do you worry more about kind of leaving your clients alone or do you worry more about the bills and, and the, the team brand aspect of things? Um, I worry more about the, my client's perception of my productivity. <laughs> that's a, well, well, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a hard, you probably worry about that every day, let alone if you're trying to take a break, right? Because, you know, if I'm fixing something, they see me there fixing it and they see the status. If I come to you and I say, hey, I want a logo or I want you to come up with this marketing campaign, you're going to work on it, but I'm not sitting there watching you draw this or edit this and do this. So I don't know what you're doing. 
and I have no perception how long it takes. So I imagine that's a battle that you have all the time. It is always a battle. And, you know, from you from the IT world, you would uh, definitely understand that, that um, um, the way I bill my clients, I either bill them on a per project basis or on a monthly retainer basis. Um, I used to do hourly, but hourly to me uh, was a time suck because everybody knows uh, creativity cannot be forced. Um, if, I, if I was contracted by a client to create a, a logo and they just told me of what they wanted to, what they wanted to look like, but they weren't really sure. Um, I got to tell you, there are times where it has taken me an hour to create a logo and they loved it. And there are times where it has taken me weeks to get drafts of logos to a client because the, um, the inspiration either wasn't there or just the idea didn't click. And I got it, and I can tell you there are times where I've woken up at two o'clock in the morning where the ideas hit me, got up from bed, ran to my computer, drafted it, sent it to the client after three weeks of working on a logo. And within five minutes, I was able to get the new logo together, sent it to the client, and they're like, bingo. So, you know, the clients on the other side, if I, I, I don't think it's fair for my clients to be charged for my creative process if I'm stuck. You know, um, yeah. Well, and, and that's a switch that I made years ago in the IT side things, which led to how I do things with this new venture and the mental training and, and the performance psychology is retainers the way to go. Yes. Um, in the IT world, there's a lot of times where we're researching and it's the same thing. Like I feel bad that I can't solve this problem instantly and I have to research it, but should I be charging the client the time to research it? Um, so, so all, all my clients are always on retainer. I won't do anything per hour anymore. It's, and, and the argument for me is I'm going to be available for you. If, if you go on retainer, we know that you and I are locked in and that I'm available for you. If we're per hour, I might be on another job. And then what are you going to do? You know, I'm sorry. Um, th this way I, I block the time and, and go on retainer. And, and I think that also helps put the overachieving mind at ease because it's easier to schedule and figure out how to do things if people are on retainer. Yes. Um, and knowledge is, I mean, not to sound like a schoolhouse rock um, special here, but knowledge is power. Am I showing right. my age there by saying that? <laughs> it's coming back. You're on it. Um, knowledge is power. And that brings me to another thought of the overachieving mind. Um, you know, I always encourage my friends and have to keep me reminding myself to always keep learning. Like um, when I'm writing up my goals for the year, uh, I have in there, I have to 
schedule time for either podcasts or um, technical uh, learning, book learning, you know, um, there are skills that I have to keep up to date all the time because the marketing world changes day by day sometimes. So you have to always be on top of your game and learning. But on the other flip side of that, I also encourage my friends and my clients to schedule recreational learning because you can't keep shoving technical information and knowledge in your brain without some kind of recreation or entertainment. Yeah. Wow, you hit two really major points. Um, the first one is the the marketing world, just like any world, is always changing. Um, and I can't imagine, like, I don't think people take into consideration how changes, little changes to other things really affect your world. Um, and the example that comes to mind right now is I handle poorly, I might add, most of my... Um, you know, social media, like some days I'm on fire and I'm really driven and I'm getting a lot of posts and content. And then it's like, now come weeks, on, Dan, you're always on fire. <laughs> three, three, three weeks. Then I'm like, oh, no, I, mean, I haven't posted a blog in a long time, but then you wake up one day and, and I use, you know, there's a million products out there. Like I'm not trying to sell Hootsuite. It's just, that's what I use. Um, and you wake up one day and all of a sudden Facebook has changed their API and now you can no longer post through Hootsuite or any of them to your personal Facebook page. And well, I had 30 posts scheduled for the rest of the year. So now I'm scrambling, but that one little change has now put three hours on my plate that blindsided me. Right. Yeah. And I don't think people realize that that side of it, an, an update to Photoshop now sets you back four hours because they changed how they're doing the layers and you know what I mean? And it's just, I don't think people appreciate that. Like back in the day, yeah, my pencil broke. I had to sharpen a new one. Now I can draw your logo. But now it's like <laughs> someone changes something and it, it sets you back all day. Because not only do you have to fix it, but you have to learn how to fix it. So now yes. you're researching for hours like, okay, how can I get around this? How can I post this? Or, you know, what should I do? Um, so we have to set that learning time. And when I did my exit interview for this last master's degree that I just got in December, like, you know, what, what, what was the biggest takeaway from this program was one of the questions. And I said, not to talk down on the program, but one of my biggest takeaways, I'm not, I don't know what I'm going to do when I lose my LinkedIn learning subscription. Cause that was part of our tuition. I mean, I would get bored and I would see something. I'm like, Hey, I'm going to go to LinkedIn. I would take a three hour class on it. And now, you know, I understand JavaScript or scratch or, you know, doing something else that I never would have cared about, but it was available. I made time to learn something that had nothing to do with anything. Yes. Um, and, and, and I also want to really stress the importance of having peer mentors that can help you learn and, you know, there's been times where I've been in a bind and, you know, something is changed in Photoshop or in my movie editor uh, program. And I only have one more day to work on a program. And I've had to reach out to my peer peers and be like, okay, who can help me on this? Or how does this change? Because sometimes Google helps, but sometimes Google and YouTube are no help at all. 
because you have a very specific issue. Um, you know, I've had friends save my bacon many times in saying, oh, did you try this little switch or did you try this approach? And it's worked. So I've been able to rely on my peers, but then I also had to learn what they uh, shared with me to help me out. It wasn't just, I'm just going to take the shortcut, ask a friend for the shortcut, and then not learn the skill. Yeah, the, the peer and mentoring thing is kind of interesting because the, my thesis that I wrote this last year was about the lack of, it, it was pertaining to the sports world specifically, but my research took me everywhere. Um, and one of the key aspects was, you know, the, the lack of training of soft skills in coaches. But the other aspect of that was the mentorship in coaching. And I started to really go down this rabbit hole of mentorship. And I didn't realize the complexity and the issues of mentor and the perceived issues with mentorship, that there's a whole subculture out there that won't mentor because they feel like they're giving information away and training their competition or, you know, everyone plays it really close to the vest. And when I step back now and I look at it, it all makes, you know, I see it now, but I was completely blind to it. And I, I think from a mentorship problem, you know, that's a, that's a other issue. And again, going, tying it back into the overachieving, I finally had the guts to reach out to my competitors, you know, in the early two thousands, when I was going on vacation and saying, Hey, look, I'm gone for a week. If there's something like, I mean, legit needs hands on, I'm going to send them your way. And I would just trust that that competitor will be like, okay, I'll help you out for this week, but I'm not going to try and steal your client, you know, and, and it worked out. I found really good people, but I think the networking aspect and whether it's, you know, what we do with our peer group that we're in, or you're doing it with your competitor, I think that's probably the biggest way to help over, you know, the overachieving syndrome um, is finding that mentor or someone to help take away some of the slack when you need to. Oh, absolutely. Um, the group that <clears throat> a friend and I created that you're a part of, um, he's also from the marketing world. And I remember when we had started collaborating on some projects, um, some uh, colleagues were like, wait, you're, you're partnering up with so-and-so? aren't you both like competitors? And I remember saying competitors and colleagues and peers, you have to build a certain respect level with each other, where I know if I send a client to him because he specializes in something that I don't, like I can build websites. I hate doing it. Right. Absolutely hate. I'm just laying it out there. I would rather run another half marathon on a website from scratch. I really would. Yeah, yeah. He loves programming. He, that is his wheelhouse. He loves it. Um, he hates social media. I love social media. So we have collaborated together on things that, you know, our, our end client doesn't know where his company begins and mine begin because we work as a collective front together. He knows that I'm never going to reach out to his client and say, hey, you know, maybe I can do this for you. 
um, I had created a, he had contacted me about creating a logo for one of his clients. So I created the logo. I worked one-on-one -on -one with them. And then the client had asked me about social media, which of course is what I really like to do. But my response to them was, you know what? That's a great question. I'm sure that Bob would be able to answer that for you. That I, is... had, I had the opportunity to take that client, but because morally, I would not be able to do that, but also because we had that level of respect back and forth. Yeah, and, and it happens all the time in, um, you know, in the IT world. The, the I work with, yeah, yeah. I, I work with companies, um, you know, I still do some IT work on the side, especially for that. You know, I had one client that was the reason I went out on my own and I told them I will support them until they're ready to be done or I retire. So I keep them on the side as a client, um, but I don't service their printers. So another company comes in and another company that also does networking and does the whole gamut. But for them, they specifically do and we have a great relationship. And, and what I love about it is they're comfortable enough to know that I'm not going to try and steal the, net, the printing contract. And I'm comfortable enough knowing that they're not going to try and steal the IT contract, that their techs will come to me and say, hey, I noticed this was kind of going on. You might want to check this on the network or you might want to do this. And I'm sure that's kind of how you worked it out. You know, you're working on a logo but you might see something on their social media campaign and you could say something to the company that you're, you know, partnered with and say, Hey, I know I'm doing the logo, but you might want to see that this is trending and it might work out well for them. And I think too many people are afraid to do that. They're afraid that if they take that break, someone's going to sneak up and, you know, we're afraid to rest because someone's going to pass us. And, and we don't realize that if we don't rest, they're going to pass us regardless. So we might as well see if we can work with them. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, the, the definition of overachiever is someone who just, you know, goes over the top and just in my mind, when I hear the term overachiever, I always envision someone just running ragged because they just will not rest at all. Um, I read somewhere and I probably should Google <laughs> where I found it, but it was um, when people achieve a goal or complete a task, there's some kind of endorphin released in the brain that um, kind of gives you a little bit of a high. Right. Um, and that's what overachievers are addicted to. And that's why um, they are quote unquote allergic to free time or downtime because in their mind, downtime and free time is wasted time. There is no goal of having free time. And I think that that is so dangerous for people. Um, one of the terms that I shared with you is a lazy overachiever. And I right. love that term because that is me to a T. Uh, my mom is always on my case because I'm either 1,000 miles per hour or zero. There is no in between for me sometimes. But I've gotten a lot better through the years because I used to be 1,000 miles per hour 
24 hours a day unless I was asleep. Um, one of the things that I really love about my husband is that he encourages me to have some downtime. Now, me saying that, it sounds as if he's <laughs> teaching me to be a lazy bum. That's right. totally not the case. Um, I think you have to, uh, to get over the hump of you either go hard or you go home. There has to be some kind of middle in there because when you think of downtime, I think of it as recharging. Right. It's kind of like when you charge a phone, you know, you're not using the phone when you're charging it most of the time and it's recharging. It's, you know, going up to 100% again. And I think we forget that our bodies are machines. We need that recharging time. Otherwise, we're just going to run out of energy. Yeah, it, 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 it's a cleansing. It's, it's making the whole approach and what you do um, cleaner, I guess, for a better word. Otherwise, we're just piling it up. And we see it a lot in the sports world. I mean, if you look at Nick Saban or any like the successful college coaches, they always say the same thing. Uh, um, I won this national championship and I'll celebrate it for 24 hours, but then tomorrow it's back onto the next one. And you're right. It's because they're addicted and their, their mind and their body's addicted to the rush of completing that goal. Or activity. And, they're they're right. addicted to the activity because, um, you know, in the business world, you, you learn to work smarter, not harder. But some people are just so addicted to the activity that they forget that they can be accomplishing something in two hours that they, you know, drag out for four hours because they feel the longer you spend on something, the more productive uh, you are. Yeah. A, a great story I have for this is right out of high school, um, I got hired to do, um, well, it was supposed to be customer service for a wholesale, a, a technology wholesaler. So like we sold to back then circuit city and, and Boscov's like, we weren't the end retailer. We circuit were the supplier. <laughs> yeah. Right. There's dating yourself. Right. Um, and I got, I was customer service for exactly three weeks and got dumped into my own sales territory which happened to be all of New York City, except for the city proper. So I was all of Long Island and then the rest of the state of New York, basically. And I'm this 18, 19 year old kid, you know, and I'm billing, you know, literally hundreds of thousands, almost a million dollars a month. And it took me a while to get into the sales groove. Like I had no, I mean, I, I worked at Chess King, again, dating ourselves, <laughs> sold clothing at the mall. Like that was my only sales really experience. So they would chart us as any big company would of how we're doing. And, you know, here's your sales goal. You know, you got to sell $100,000 a month. But then their other aspect was, and you need to have a daily phone goal of four hours out of your eight hours phone time. 
And I finally learned the groove and what worked for me. And I was doing 200% of my goal, but I was hitting about two and a half, three hours phone time. And I was still getting, I was getting written up, reprimanded. I'm like, I'm doing what you're asked. I'm making 200% of my goal. And part of that is because how I work my day, how I schedule and understand things. So if you want me to make that phone goal, the productivity of the sales goal is going to go down. And their response was, well, if you're not on the phone, it looks like you're lazy and not doing anything. And I'm like, okay, so what do you want? The perception of me being a hard worker, but not making the goals or not nearly doing as well or doing what's asked how I need to do it. And, and the answer was simple. Thanks for your time. And within a year I left because I couldn't marry the two. And I think we need to get over that culture of if we're not nose to the grindstone 24-7, doesn't mean that we're not calculating. And you gave a prime example of that, like how you woke up in the middle of the night, went out and did the logo. I keep a notepad, you know, I, I journal a ton. That's my thing. But there's a journal and a pen next to my bed because I learned a long time ago that when I'm at rest and my brain is finally unwinding is when all the good ideas come. And that to me tells me, like, we need to have that break. If you need to solve a major problem, walk away from it. Absolutely. I mean, your work story is almost parallel to one of mine. Um, I, I was a salesperson and I still remember this to this day. And I use this as an example for a lot of my clients and my friends that we had to keep a log of every 10 minutes of our day. Every 10 minutes, I, I see your eyeballs bugging, but honestly, we had to keep a log of um, how many phone calls we were making, how long we were on the road, and how much we spent um, speaking to each client, this and that. We had to log everything. And I still remember, and I worked there for about a year, and I just couldn't hack it anymore because I am not a paper pusher. Like if I were an accountant, I would not survive. But I remember at the end of every month, I would have to sit down with my district manager. He would pull out a calculator and he would add up the hours that I spent either on the phone or on the road. And he would divide, I forget which way it goes. He divided the number of miles I drove that week with the amount of minutes that I spent driving on the road and he would do the, okay, so it looks like you were only driving 47 miles per hour on average when you were on the road that week. Were you not hitting the highway or, and I'm like, are you serious? Are you absolutely serious? He would do that and he'd be like, you know what? you need to start looking at driving highway rather than the country roads because you're losing time. You're losing productivity time. And, you know, one month I'm on top of the sales um, ranking. The next, you know, I could be pretty much sucking. Right. And it wouldn't matter as long as my activity, what kept me at at least 52 miles per hour or something like that. Right, because no. it's easy for them then to explain it. Well, she's doing what she's supposed to be doing, so it must be the market or the products aren't right or there's a downtrend going on in the industry. 
Yeah, because and the you, you're getting the right hours <laughs> driving on the road. Yeah, one of my friends, we used to joke all the time because our goal was to get to book four appointments per day. Okay, assuming that two of them will cancel. So you will have two face-to-face -face meetings. But your goal was to book four meetings within a certain time period. Right. So it didn't matter. For, for me, they said it would take, you know, like an hour and a half, two hours to hit that. So if I hit my four within a half an hour, somehow, I'd be like, hey, I'm done. And they're like, no, you still have an hour and a half that you have to be on the phone. I'm like, right. okay, so if I book a couple more, does that count for my goal tomorrow? Oh, no. I'm like, <laughs> this is ridiculous. This is terrible. This is the worst carrot in front of the horse moment ever. I was not going to down, go down that road, but you opened that up. <laughs> so the, the, rest of, the rest of this story goes, so I'm not doing everything they want. They cap us at 200%. So our commissions only pay us up to 200% of our goal. So now I'm at 250% of my goal, not hitting my phone time and they want me to do it, but I'm not going to get paid for it if I do it. I'm like, you're crazy, right? Like this is, I'm being pranked. So you <laughs> want me to, to do the extra work, but then you're not going to pay me for it at all. So without naming them or anything, is that company still around and are they thriving? Oh yeah. Yeah, they are. It's, um, and the thing is, is that they are known to be a churn and burn company, right? That they go through salespeople like water. It is terrible. And well, it's because in their mind, their culture was, um, they did all the study of, it takes this amount of time to book an appointment. This it takes this amount of time to close a deal. And if you close so many deals, you will be making back then 70,000 a year. And we're talking like 20 some years ago. Right. You know, when I was like five. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, <laughs> when you're in your teens making $70,000 yeah. a year. And, 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 you know, that's what lured me in the same thing. If you meet your goals, you're going to be making 60 grand. I'm like, I'm 18, single, still living at home and I'm going to make 16 grand. Yeah, sure. But the irony of my story is I finally just, I couldn't do it anymore. Like I, I understand what they were doing. And I understand that for most of the people where, you know, our, our sales force was probably 120 people at that time for probably about 60 to 80 of them. That's what they needed. Like they weren't meeting their goals and they weren't meeting their phone time. So I get it. Um, you know, the other thing is we were all inside sales, but we had to wear a suit and tie every day to work. Like yeah, I never, same thing. I, same I never thing. saw anyone. And I just remember my exit interview with them. And I said, look, here's my issues. I'm not saying we shouldn't dress professional, but if I'm in a company polo and khakis and on the phone, I'm going to be more comfortable and I'm going to be a better salesperson. Second is you got to decide what matters more people looking like they're busy or people meeting their goals, because sometimes you can't have it both ways, you know, and I got the, you know, thanks for your input, blah, blah, blah. Four years later, after I leave, they make every change. And I'm not saying it was because I suggested it, but they made every single change that I mentioned and moved to an employee owned company. 
I would have stayed there forever. In fact, I still have six friends that still work there, started the same year that I did. And they're easily going to be millionaires now because they're, it's all employee owned and they've been there for 30 years now, you know? Um, but, but I think that's where we have to be careful with our overachieving conversation is what if, um, is, uh, of course the mailman comes and my dog is now going crazy. Um, when is overachieving and busy work overlapping? You know, I mean, I think you and I are talking a lot about working really hard to get the results and not taking that time off. But then there's also that side where people are just making themselves look busy and burning themselves out and doing just busy work. Yeah, I think what's hard is um, people's perception of your productivity or our own productivity, putting it personal. Um, when I was a runner, um, I would take a break around two o'clock in the afternoon and go running. Uh, I live on top of a mountain, literally on top of a mountain. Uh, my driveway is a fifth of a mile long, which is straight up and down. Right. So if I'm ending a run, I don't want to <laughs> end the run running up a mountain because that, that's just crazy. So what I would do is, again, leave my house at two o'clock in the afternoon and my husband got off of work at three o'clock. So I would run for an hour and 15 minutes or so and he would pick me up on his way home. And that's what I would plan on doing at least three to four days during the work week. And then Saturdays were my long run, you know, right. but I remember some of my friends were like, I tried calling you and you didn't answer. I'm like, well, I was out on a run. They're like, oh, must be nice to, you know, slack off and go running in the middle of the day. I'm like, but you don't realize that, first of all, I had it in my planner. I plan had to plan time. And for me, it was free time. Right. I had to plan that into my day. So then I could take that hour, hour and a half to go running, to just free my mind and not relax because you're running, but uh, rejuvenate myself. But then when I came back home and after I took a shower, I was back working for another hour and a half or so to make up for that time. Um, I think that's what people are forgetting is that Yes, you have your work day and you have the things that you need to do. Um, unless you work at a, an extreme nine to five business that you have to you know, be butt in chair nine to five, you can break up your day because sometimes having even a five minute break can just help your creative juices go. You're a professional, you know, thoughts and juices go. Um, that's what the, um, the attraction to a water cooler has been back in the day. Right. And again, we're dating ourselves here, but you know, there used to always be a nice water cooler in an office and people would go fill their water cups or whatever and chit chat for five to 10 minutes. That was their downtime. But during that time, they were able to talk about things that weren't related to work and it gave them a mental break. And I think that's what we're missing 
in these days is that you're allowed to get up from your desk for five, 10 minutes. You know what? If you have to take a half an hour, take a half an hour. If you need to take a 10 minute nap, go take a 10 minute nap because you will be more productive when you get back in your chair to do your task. Yeah, and you segued perfect to what I want to talk to next was like the strategies of how we combat this. And for me with with my clients, the first thing I do, and 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 I I swear to everyone listening, I did not feed her this, and this is her, you know, Amory being organic was schedule it. Yes. Um in, in your planner, again, everyone knows I'm a journaler and I love my planners, is the hey, I'm going for a swim today, or I'm walking the dog. It is planned. Um now, obviously, there are spontaneous moments that aren't planned, but if, if you're trying to break this cycle and you don't know how, that's my first step and my first word of advice to you is plan your downtime right in your planner. I'm going to read, and, and we'll get into this a little bit about what you read and stuff, but um, you, you know, plan it and put it in there and write it and, and you'll find that, hey, wow, this actually does work. Um, the other thing is, is the journaling aspect of it is a lot of our energy and time is spent trying to figure out answers or holding it all in and trying to keep it all together, to be honest with you. And I found that if I'm just journaling, it helps me just kind of vent and get it all out and then kind of, okay, there it is. What's my next step instead of trying to hold it in or trying to figure out how to do it. Um, we talked about reading, uh, before we came on and I didn't mention it then because I, I didn't want to ruin this organic type, but you talked about having the friend that all she did was read self-help books and technical books. And that was my cycle. And our mutual good friend, Donnie Reeser said to me, like, you need to stop that. Like you need to read, you know, read science fiction, read Western or something. And I've never been a big reader. Like I was never the type in school or any time to just sit down the corner and read a book. It just, I had a hard time visualizing things. Um, that's why I don't read Lord of the Ring books. I think, I, I know I'm sure the books are better than the movie, but it, the names of the places and everything just get too confusing and I lose what the, the author's trying to tell me. Um, so I started reading this, you know, like, fantasy stuff you know like wizards and and dragons but but not too complex like lord of the rings or or harry potter you know a little bit more basic and then recently i really got into classical westerns um and i can't tell you the change that has made like not like the self-help and the other books that i was reading were were tough and didn't have value they still have value but it was learning. So it was still activating a different side of me and making that switch to reading the fantasy and the Western is probably one of the best things I've ever done. And again, I still have to schedule it because if I don't, I'm going to pick up the self-help book or I'm going to try and learn a new technique on something. I need to pick up the junk. I, I, I need to read it. So yeah, um, reading, reading is um, growing up. I was always reading my mom would always be taking me to the library. I'd be checking out 10 books at a time, just flowing through them all the time. Uh, one of my neighbors had, I still remember, she had these encyclopedias 
I don't even know if they print encyclopedias anymore. Probably not. But she had this huge encyclopedia of sea animals. And I remember one summer I read the whole set of encyclopedias. And it was just so interesting to let my mind wander and go into the ocean and see all these sea creatures and learn weird facts about them. Things that I typically would not use in everyday conversation. I mean, right. how often do you talk about blowfish, <laughs> you know, or swordfish or whatever? But I've always been a reader and I've always been a writer. Um, I've always wanted to be a journalist, went to college to be a journalist. I was a journalist for a while, um, decided that it wasn't the life that I wanted anymore because, well, journalism has just changed over the years. Right. But I find in my business, I write all the time. Either it's website content or it's I'm doing ghost writing for magazines. Um, I love writing and telling a story. And I remember a couple months ago, I was writing two, two articles for a magazine on a couple of uh, business, local businesses. And I was so stuck, so stuck on how to uh, wrap up the, the, the articles. And I was staring at them for, no kidding, four days. And I'm coming up on deadline. <laughs> I have no idea how to wrap up this family story. So you know what I did? I went, grabbed my Kindle, and read a, a rom-com. Right. Stupid to say. I mean, it was just this silly rom-com. I'm reading it and three-fourths of the way through it, I'm like, I know how I'm going to end that story. Now, it, it wasn't, you know, ending the story on a rom-com note, but just letting my mind wander and read different words, not in a technical dictionary or whatever just flowery words and different words that you wouldn't use in everyday language and it, it just really got my creative juices going and I was able to write the ending of the article sent it to my client they loved it published it and I'm like whoo rom-com saved my bacon one more time <laughs> I think the funny part about that whole process is we spend we spend time reading fiction to get away from the nonfiction world. And I think the nonfiction world starts trying to look at fiction to get away from the nonfiction <laughs> world. So like we're chasing each other's tails round and round. Um, you, you know, I, I read things that have nothing to do with self-help because I'm stuck with something and it helps me with that. And, you know, my escape ends up becoming my answer um, that I'm going to. So we, we sort of have to start wrapping this up. What are your keys for the overachiever? Like, first off, do you think the problem is more people don't realize they're drifting into that overachiever world? Or do you think that people realize that they just don't know what to do because they, they don't want to appear lazy or, you know, oh, if I sleep, someone's going to catch up to me. Do, do you um, think it's I more think, the issue of not knowing? I think the real problem is the shaming of people. Okay. Um, of not needing to be an overachiever. 
Um, I think the people who view themselves as very successful or they view themselves as an overachiever, they look at that as a badge of honor instead of a lifestyle that that needs to change a little bit. Yeah, you're going to um, work yourself to death. And is it, you know, that's great. They work themselves to death. I would rather be here a little bit longer, I think. Yeah, I mean, growing up, my dad worked at a nine to five job. And my best memories of my dad is he would come home from work at quarter after four every single day, like clockwork. He would come through the, the door. He would go back to mom and dad's bedroom, change, come out and come to us kids and say, okay, I'm yours for until dinner time. And dinner was always at 5, 10 p.m. every night. <laughs> you know, for, so we had about 45 minutes of just play time with my dad. And for us, it was knowing that we were the center of his attention. For 45 minutes, he wasn't thinking about work. He wasn't talking about work. He wasn't preoccupied by work. And that meant the world to me as a kid. And I'm trying, and, and it's still a lesson to me. I'm trying that when I'm with my bonus niece and nephews and other kids and that, that I have to turn off that workaholic overachiever um, gene in me and just concentrate and relaxing with the kids or with my friends. Um, I, I gotta tell you, I have friends that sometimes, and I'm guilty of it too, so I'm not just pointing big, uh, fingers out, that I'm checking my phone while I'm out with friends, family, this and that. And I don't know if it's the overachiever or if it's the, um, uh, what, what part of it in me it is, but I need to learn to relax and keep my free time as free time. Keeping in mind that yes, emergencies do come up that you do have to take care of, but I think it's the shaming. I remember one of my colleagues once saying, if you're not working 60 hours a week, you're lazy. Yeah. I'm like, you're crazy. <laughs> yeah. So that part about like the, the dinner and not checking the phone, I struggle with it every single day. And it's hard because the, the receiving end of it can perceive it as what am I boring? Do they not want to be with me? And they don't realize, no, it's not that. It's just I got this overachiever issue going on where it's like I could be like, oh, wait, I have a moment. I can do this. Or I'm, I'm very impulsive. Like I am the reason why there are candy bars at the checkout lane at, <laughs> at stores. So the minute I have something, I, I want to act on it. But it goes back to that. how People say that you're either 100 miles an hour or zero miles an hour. If it's something that's kind of like fleeting, like, oh, this might work. Oh, yeah, I'll pass on it. But if it's something I feel strong, like this is it, this is the key thing, then I need to do it then. I'll get up from the dinner table. Like it hits me. And when it hits me, it hits me. 
Um, and I'm trying to do better with that. And, and the other thing I, I'm really struggling with right now is the, and your story about your dad coming home really, really does hit hard with me because I'm now home all day with my kids because of quarantine and everything that's going on. And yet I don't make that time because I think I'm like, well, I'm here all day with them, but I'm, but am I really present with them? And, and I struggle with that. I need to make time to be present just because we're all stuck here together in the house together. doesn't mean I'm present with them. And I'm really, I'm, I'm really going to examine that. That's probably the biggest thing I'm taking away from this talk today is I'm going to examine, I need to make that time with them and be present with them, not just here with them, but be present with them. But keep and in it, mind, it is a lesson I still have to relearn and relearn and relearn. It's when you are a workaholic and I tell people I'm a recovering workaholic, <laughs> um, just like an alcoholic or a drug addict, the temptation's always there and you are going to slip. It's, it's literally an addiction. It doesn't have to be a corrupt, bad addiction because part of what makes you a, an overachiever or a workaholic is ambition. I don't think having ambition is a bad thing. Um, unfortunately, and again, this is something I have to keep reminding myself, things have to be in moderation. Unfortunately, my mom is always the voice in the back of my head and whapping me on the side of the head sometimes of saying, did you remember how to uh, take a break? You know, you can't always be going a thousand miles an hour, Anne-Marie, your body's going to shut down before you do. Yeah, the way I look at it as a, I guess I would say, like people that know me will probably laugh when I say about being like a recovering workaholic is because I did learn pretty easily how to have some good free time. It just happened to be when other people did too. So it seemed like I was always available. They didn't see the nights that I was working midnight to five in the morning, fixing a server or, you know, researching. Um, so they don't have that whole perception. But for me, the concept was always as an, as an overachiever is you're either running towards something or running from something. I'm either a workaholic because I'm trying to bury something and I don't want to think about it, or I have that ambition for something and I'm working towards it. And I need to know which one it is to cope with it better. If, if I'm a workaholic and an overachiever because I don't want to think about something that's going on, that's not a good coping mechanism. I, I, I need to figure out what's wrong and, and why I'm running from it and fix it. And on the other side, if I'm running towards something, I need to check my priorities and make sure it's something worth running for and am I doing it the most efficient way. Is, is just grinding to grind worth it? Or can I, you know, how do I take these breaks and get it? And, and I think the shaming is a big part of it. And, and there's obviously extreme shaming, like some of the points that you talk, but then there's just the casual, oh, I see you're having a long lunch today. You know, oh, you're drinking at lunch today. Must be great. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, no, yeah, right. I'm drinking at lunch. You want to know why? Because I'm about to go back and read 40 minutes worth of boring technical stuff that it's going to be tough to get through. And, you know, I'm going to do what I want. Yeah. The best way, one of the lessons that I've learned uh, to combat the overachieving and keeping myself in check 
is having a good peer group. Um, I, I have about three really, really, really close business uh, colleagues that are good friends of mine that we check in with each other to, to see, you know, are you taking a break? Are you, um, are you scheduling your free time? But we're also celebrating um, achievements together. It's we, we keep each other in check. And I think that's very important for any recovering um, overachiever, workaholic, alcoholic, uh, drug addict, is that you have people that you check in with, you know, who have your best interests in mind the same way that you have their best interests in mind. And be able to tell people, you know, um, your, your, your peer group, I'm experiencing burnout, you know, or, you know, I still remember I was going towards burnout and one of my friends who's very close said, okay, you know what? Drop everything. You and I were going to go to lunch and we're going to spend a couple hours together and we're just going to have some free time. And I'm like, oh my gosh, but I'm right in the middle of a blah, blah, blah. They're like, no, you need to meet me right now because you need a break. And you know, after that lunch, which we may have had an adult beverage or two, <laughs> you know, but I was so refreshed after that, that I was able to go back and finish what I was banging my head up against the wall on because I allowed myself that break and rest. And, you know, my friend was able to identify that if I did not give myself that rest, I was going to break down. Yep. And breaking down, you know, puts you out of commission a lot longer than taking a break. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, the, the peer group and the group that, you know, that you started that thankfully you invited me into. It's funny. I haven't cause of well, my we schedule. We didn't have a vetting program. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no, there was no application. Thank God. Um, you know, with the last couple months in my schedule and then the COVID recovery that I'm going through um, with how I, my sleep cycle and everything, I just can't make those mornings. I didn't know other than you, anyone in that group. And I don't know what the number is. I forget like 15 of us or, you know, something like that, but I can't tell you how many of those people that I just met in May, I think is when I joined the group, mm -hmm. literally at least twice a week, usually a lot more just randomly message me. Hey, I know you haven't been on and things, but just, are you okay? Like just check it in, you know? And, and it's just amazing that how much that peer group has helped keep me on track. And, and that literally is part of the reason why between that and the research I did for my thesis, why I wanted to make 2021 for me and my focus, the year of mentorship, because I don't know, we can have all the podcasts and we can have all the virtual meetings and we can have all the John Gordon books and the self-help books, but I don't know that there's a single thing better than a peer group or a mentorship group. Um, to help you in any aspect of what it is. Um, One and of the things that have come out from this peer group is, you know, during this quarantine, um, 
it, it created a safe place for us to come together and say, you know what? I'm not handling this very well. Or um, some of us, you know, businesses fell off for a while. So there's that regrouping. But then I know for me with my marketing world, I lost about a third of my reoccurring client revenue right. come around June because they couldn't afford me, their businesses closed, this and that. But yet I picked up other projects and such that made me even busier than I was before. So, you know, I've had some friends on social media say, you know, I'm sick of all my time with my husband. We're both at home staring at each other, you know, 24 hours a day. We don't, we don't have a break where I was coming to the group saying, my husband is working so much mandatory overtime and I'm working around the clock that we have the exact opposite problem that everybody else is belly aching about. We right. we're not spending time together. When we are, we're both, both so tired that we're cranking at each other kind of thing. And that's the important thing about mentorship and peer groups is it was a safe place for us to come and say, you know what, we're struggling with this, this, and this. And there's no judgment and there's no shaming, you know, both yep. professionally and personally. And yeah, I think and that's important. That's huge. That's huge. And I, I think, you know, when I first got the positive test back, um, the very first thing I did was hop on and found a peer group of people that had, you know, are, are coming out of COVID. And, and, and that, again, that's helped, you know, th there's been, there's been days that I wake up and I feel fully energized. And then there's days that I need five naps just to make it through, you know, nine to five. And the peer group has really helped me. Like, yeah, we're all over the place. Like <laughs> what you're doing is, you know, what you're going through and what you're having is not unique. Um, you know, it's not the popular either. Like it, it, it was just really good to have that group and to talk about it. And I think that's why the, the 12 step program, you know, AA, all that, it works. It's not because of their rules and their policies and the steps. It's the fact of going and being around people and, and being open and honest and having those mentors. Like if I, I really think if you took the coins out of AA, if you took the, the naming of the steps out of AA, it would survive and work. But if you took the sponsor, which is just another word for mentor out of AA, it absolutely doesn't work. And I, I think that's, that's what's killing us. And I think that's what would help with overachievers mm -hmm. is having that mentor saying, pump the brakes, pump the brakes, you'll be fine. Um, let's go to lunch or you need to take a vacation. And here's why your business won't fail while you're gone. You know, I think too many times, especially in the entrepreneurial world and the solo entrepreneurial world, we take it all on all by ourselves and we're kind of out on the island. Um, you know, whether it's your Rotary, you know, a Facebook group, Rotary Club, Toastmasters, something. Uh, I think those peer groups are what, what will help you as an overachiever, just your mental health and over. Yeah, when I started my business 15 years ago, um, I, I had a mentor, a business mentor who till this day, she still is my mentor. Um, when I told her I was starting my own business, this and that. 
her very first question to me was, do you have another mentor? Do you have a peer group that you will be able to share your experiences with and learn from? And I'm like, I'm strong. I can do this on my own. Well, no, you need support because in the beginning I was working crazy hours and not really making a lot of money. You know, I probably would have made more at McDonald's, honestly, but my mentor group helped me um, balance the activity versus productivity. You know, just because you're busy does not mean that you're being productive. Right. And especially as being a solopreneur, being busy doesn't mean that you're productive. Um, I'm working less hours, well, before COVID, I'm working less hours and being more productive than what I was in the very beginning of my business. Right, right. And in the beginning of my business, I was an overachiever um, workaholic, you know? And yeah, I do still catch myself going into the rabbit on the wheel kind of thing because again, like any other recovering addict, the brain still thinks you have to do something a certain way. You have to um, work 80 hours a week. Otherwise, you're not successful. Yep, yep. Well, Amory, I thank you for helping me kick off this third season of the Mental Cast. How can people reach you for your marketing services? Why don't you uh, pump your, your info and your social? My social? Media. I oh. mean, if you want to give your social, you know. I'll gladly open up a new credit card or something. (laughs) Um, People can find me at teambrant.net or teambrantmarketing.com. Both uh, lead to my website. Um, You can always reach me at abrant at teambrant.net. And on social media, you can find me under my handle, teambrant. That is both... Facebook and uh, Instagram. My Twitter handle is Team Brand PA. And I look forward to hearing from anyone. Awesome. Thank you again for everything. I, I, I couldn't think of a better way to kind of kick things off and talk about overachieving and um, being overwhelmed and overworked at the beginning of the year instead of looking back and <laughs> saying, you know, oh man, I was really overworked. So hopefully people can get some strategies and and learn to take breaks and which is weird because we're in this big pause, but I don't know that we're in a break, you know? Um, so trying, trying to figure out how to, to mentally take the break while we're going through all this, but I think it would be fun to mention that you and I have known each other over 40 years. It, I I didn't want to mention that, that, that really, uh, that stings when I, (laughs) when I start to think about it. Yes. Yes. It has been, um, since forever. Yeah, it, it really has. And it's, it's funny because completely different circles, but yet interconnected, you know, and it kind of comes back to the beginning, I guess. But again, thank you for everything. Um, and people thank you can for inviting me on. Awesome. Uh, anytime, anytime. And I'm sure I'll have you on again and we'll discuss some other crazy topic. Um, but yeah, reach out if you have marketing needs, 
Amory can really help you out or at least point you in the right direction and, and get you going. But she did all the logo work for damnickel.com. So, um, which for me, again, it goes back to the overachieving. Like I'm trying to end this, but I keep getting stories. It goes back to the overachieving. Like I probably could have done that, but I would rather have someone that knows how to do it and is outside of my bubble, look at it and say, I think this is what you want and this is what would look good. And um, I think too many times we, we take on too much. So don't be afraid to farm it out and, and have you know other people help you out as needed. All right, thanks again for listening to the Metalcast. I'm your host, Dan Mickle, and we'll see you in a few weeks with another great episode. Amory, thank you so much again. for listening to The Mental Cast, powered by Soul Performance Academy and hosted by Dan Mickle. You can always reach the show on all social media platforms at the username at RealDanMickle or via the show's website at danmickle.com. Don't forget to check out our title sponsor, Soul Performance Academy, at the username at 717soul and on their website, 717soul.com. We hope you can join us for our next episode.